Good morning to each of you. I want to thank you for coming. And for those who are standing at the back, uh, well, I hope you can stay standing till the end of the service. I want to encourage you, uh, if you are sing married with no children or single, uh, there is always 11.30 service that you can kind of try to go to. Or even at Adam, uh, 5 and 11.30 a.m. service that you can try to go to as well. I know we are packed, uh, but we are thankful. Something that we are thankful for, that God is bringing us, bringing each one of you uh, to us so that we, you can be blessed and we can be blessed too uh, by the teaching of God's Word. So we are in almost the middle portion of Romans. And for those who actually attended uh, the Shepherd and Shepherd yesterday, at least I don't know whether your Bible study leader has, or DG leader has mentioned to you, uh, we are going to continue with Romans uh, after two ways to live. So we're going to actually finish off uh, the whole book of uh, Romans to the end of the year. So that's a good thing, isn't it? I hope you are enjoying Romans. I am enjoying it very much. Uh, you may seem that Romans is a very heavy book. I was just talking to Deacon Eric earlier on. It is heavy because Paul has not met the church. And this is really his theological thesis to the church of what it means to be safe in Christ, dead to sin, and alive in our Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 6 today kind of give us a, a, a glimpse, a summary of what does it mean to this, have these two ways to live in our life. Let me pray and we ask God to help us understand His Word. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this morning that we can come. We pray, Lord, may your Word speak to us. May your Holy Spirit help me to preach your Word clearly. We pray together. As a church, we'll be challenged to live obedient lives unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, CNA, I'm not sure whether you, you watch CNA. CNA produced a very good series called Inside Maximum, Prison, uh, Maximum Security. And they interview a number of inmates to get an insight into their lives in prison, uh, the bit of their life before prison, their regrets and their hopes. And I thought it was a very good series. Uh, I watched through the whole series, and I thought it was very well done. Uh, they didn't kind of put down the inmates or make the inmates feel inferior, but they really genuinely wanting, I guess, us to understand their challenges, the, their struggles, and what they hope to see and do uh, upon release. And all of them expressed this desire the desire to put their prison life behind them after their release. They long for the freedom that they lost. So in among the interviews, there were some that has been in our prison a number of times. There were one or two that was first time. And I guess it's the, struggle, the constant struggle that they live with before they go into prison. But they experience the stark contrast between life in prison and life out of prison. And upon release, all of them vow not to enter prison again. They want to live as a free man. In Romans chapter 6, Paul wants the believers in Rome to understand and to know that now they live under a new reign, a new reign that is under God and not under sin, because they believe in Jesus. But they are still not quite there yet in their understanding. 
And so you realize in the book of uh, the letters to the church in Rome, Paul go on this uh, kind of writing where he, he asks a question and then he answers them. And in chapter 6, uh, we have two questions that Paul raised. And the question that he raised, lightly, it may may not be the question that they were asking, but lightly, from his own understanding of Judaism, his own understanding of the Jewish mindset, that this will be the question that they will be asking after they have read or heard what was read from his letter. So let's last look at verse 1. The first question that Paul kind of anticipated, that Paul kind of said, they may be asking after they read my letter, is what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It may as well as the context to this question. It's not out of the blue that Paul raised this question. Um, in um, 520, Paul mentions that now the law came in to increase the transpass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is helping them to, to, to see, the church to see, that they are no longer under law but under grace, but law seeks to show up, expose our sinful heart. And as grace, as law exposes our sinful heart, God, instead of condemning us, God extends His grace to us. But because of that, some of them may think, in this case, I just keep on sinning. It doesn't matter. Isn't it better for God if I keep sinning? God's grace will abound more and more. And that was their question, or the question that Paul anticipated in their mind. And Paul says, by no means, by no means. And why did he say that? He said that, that as a believer, there must be a changed life. And so Paul, in verse 2 to verse 11, outlined three points to answer his question. He tells them their new identity. He tells them the impact they have been new in Christ the impact on their daily living, and then he challenged them to their active response. So let's look at the identity. And the first thing that Paul talked about is the identity that they are united with Christ. So the identity is one, if you follow me in the text, is that they are dead to sin. And Paul asked that question, if they are dead to sin, how can they continue to live in it. If they are dead to sin, how can they breathe the same air as sin? To die to sin means to be dead to its influence and we no longer love sin. Like it or not, I'm not sure whether you realize it yourself, we actually love sin. Because sin is good. Sin is pleasurable. Sin gives us that, 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 that instant gratification of wanting this, wanting that, having this, having that. Because if sin is not good, we won't even want to go near it. But sin brings us pleasure, sin is good. But Paul says to, be, to, to die to sin means to be dead to its influence and we no longer love 
sin. Oregon, an, an, an influential theologian from 1883 BC, defined it aptly. To obey the cravings of, our, of sin is to be alive to sin. But not to obey the craving of sin or succumb to His will, this is to die to sin. So their union, our union with Christ through baptism, confirm their new identity. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 6, uh, chapter, three chapter 6, verse 3 to 4, it reads, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into His death? And we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In the RPC, we do baptism by sprinkling. But in the earlier church, in early church, baptism was quite likely conducted either through a full immersion or the pouring of water over their heads. Symbolically, when someone is baptized by fully immersing into water, the going down and the rising up kind of symbolizes the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the imagery that Paul is using to help the church in Rome see what it means to be united in Christ. See, when someone says, I believe, it's almost an, an invisible act. Because we don't really know what is happening in his heart or her heart and what's really happening in his mind or her mind. Yes, the person may confess, I believe. But what happens inside, we are not sure. And so the, the, this verbal confession can be made known, can be manifest, can be displayed publicly. And in the earlier church, it was displayed publicly through baptism. And why was it more important for them at a point in time? You must remember, isn't it? In the early church, the Christians were persecuted. So it's okay to say quietly to, to uh, let me see who, to Tim. He said, Tim, yes, Tim. Say, hey, I become Christian. Who knows? Tim lah. Nobody else knows, right? But if I go and be baptized out in the open, hey, my neighbors know, my friend know, my family know, everybody knows that I have publicly confessed my belief in God. And therefore, Paul says, that our union with Christ is made known through our baptism. In the whole process, Paul says, we are not just public, uh, privately put to death our sin, we are publicly putting to death our sin. So and Paul says that because of that, our, rise, our, our, our going down into the water, our rising, the whole process of baptism, about confessing our sin and repentance, then we share, we share with Christ His death. And so Christ died, and we too likewise died. Christ died to put to death sin. Likewise, our sin is put to death by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin penalty is paid for by our Lord Jesus so that it's counted to us. It's not counted to us as sin, but the penalty 
that has been paid for. See, Jesus' death also is not an end in itself. Because if he is, then we actually worship a dead God. But Jesus' death leads to resurrection. And in chapter 6, verse 4b to 5, it reads, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So this is our hope. This is our joy, isn't it? That our sin is being put to death, and together with Christ, we raise conquering death. Because Jesus conquered death. Of course, this death that Paul is talking about is not the physical death. Because we all know none of us escape that physical death. But it's the eternal death, the eternal separation from God, which Paul will talk about a bit more later in, his, in this chapter. So what does that mean then? What does that mean for Christ's death to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin? Let's move on to verse 6. Say, we know that our old selves was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So who then is this old self? If you were to follow Paul's writing so far, chapter 1 to now, the old self is likely, Paul talking about our old self, our old, self, our old status in Adam. Adam who transpassed, brought death, and because of that, we all sinned and we all died. But those of us who walk not in the step of Adam, but those of us who believe and put on our faith in the promise that God gave, then we are joined with Christ in His crucifixion. And so Paul wrote that because of that, we have newness of life. In chapter 3, we catch a, we, Paul kind of argue or Paul kind of bring forth what it means for Christ to pay the penalty of our sin. Just to refresh our memory, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Through Jesus' death on the cross, we have been justified and God's wrath appeased. Sin has been dealt with once and for all by Jesus' death on the cross. So maybe to help us understand this, let me illustrate with this. A convicted person has to serve his sentence. And when, when would that end? That ends when that sentence ends. So if the person is sentenced to five months in jail, the person do not stay in jail five months and one day or lesser, unless he gets some remuneration, right? But he ought to serve his penalty, five months and five months. And once, he's dead, once he has served 
his, his sentence. He walked out of the prison door. No need to worry about his crime again because he has paid for. He's not afraid that he'll be arrested again for the same crime. Maybe for others, we do not know, but not for the same one. And he will not be charged for the same one again because he has paid his deal. And recently, I was just talking to somebody and trying to understand the whole concept of bankruptcy. So if today I declare myself bankrupt, I'm not a bankrupt, but if I declare myself as a bankrupt, I subject to a series of restrictions. And I'm still obligated to pay off the debt that I owe to my debtor. The only way for me, for the bankruptcy to be annulled, is for me to be fully, to fully pay for, pay up all my debt. But what if somebody came to me and say, I will pay your debt in full, and once that is done, I'm actually free from my bankruptcy. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, that's what he did. He fully paid the penalty of our debt of sin that we owe to God. Jesus paid it all on your behalf and my behalf. And since that penalty is paid for in full, it means that we are now set free from the debt of sin and we no longer come under the wrath of God. And by, that, by, that, by Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus rendered sin powerless for those who believe. But you must understand, isn't it? What does it mean for God, for Christ, to render sin powerless? Maybe an example is this. I'm not sure how many of you all have been to the zoo recently. In our zoo, we have the lions, we have the tigers. They are fearful animals, right? But when we go to the zoo and we stand in front of the lion's den or the tiger's den, there's no fear, right? No fear of the lion or tiger coming out and eat us up. It's not because that the tiger or the lion has lost its power to kill. It is because we have been separated from that powerful animal. But no one will be silly enough, but some do, to climb into that enclosure and think that the tiger or the lion is just a harmless kitten that can stroke and be nice. The tiger has the power to kill. Just that we are on this side of the fence. And being in Christ, Christ renders him powerless. It's something like that. We are no longer in the present, we are no longer in sin. We've been taken out. And what shields us from the power of sin is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin has not lost its grip, sin has not lost its power. It can still cause death. God's wrath is still revealed, being revealed to the world that is full of sin. But those of us who put our faith in Jesus, Jesus' death has rendered sin powerless. We still feel His presence. And we will continue to experience the deadly effect of sin. And how do we know? Because each day as we wake up, 
each day as we, as we go out of, the, of our house, even if we, in our house itself, right, we struggle. We wrestle. Do I do this to please God? Or I do this to please self? Any of you don't struggle? Good. We all do. The dead testify to the presence of sin in our lives. But why are we able to say, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to obey God. That is the power of sin broken. If you are still living in sin, if you are still under the power of sin, then we will not be able to say no. We will just give in. We will just do it. But because the power of sin is broken in those who believe, we stand at a crossroad every moment of our life. And we pray and we ask God, God, help me. Help me to say no to temptation. Help me to say no to sin and yes to you. And we live each moment of that victorious life. There are times that we fail. There will be days that we fail. There will be moments that we fail. But Paul will talk about that later. But what we is, is we have the power. We have the power in Christ to say no. So in verse 7, follow me to your Bible. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. So for those of us who put our faith in the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this this morning, that you are set free from the bondage of sin. We no longer need to say, no choice, I'm a sinful man. No. Yes, I'm a sinful man, but I got a choice. I am able, I'm able to say no to sin because we are no longer enslaved by sin. We now live a new life in Christ. And verse 9 to 11 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because the wages of sin is death, and Christ's death took away, took upon, took our sin upon Himself. Not just that, this verse, this series of verses tells us that God has also become victorious over death. Because none of us is able to overcome death, isn't it? Anybody has overcome death? No one. But Christ had. And we worship Christ, or we worship a God, the living God, who has, victor- who, has, who has victory over sin. So when we wrestle with sin, Paul is saying, we don't wrestle as a defeated person. But we wrestle knowing that death and sin no longer has dominion over our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we, being united with Christ, we too share in that victory that sin and death no longer has dominion over us. The sting of death, death has been removed. 
And so this is Paul's answer to his first question. His first question is, Hooray, we can sin more so that we can experience more of God's grace. Paul says, by no means. Sin is incompatible to grace because we are no longer under the dominion and the power of sin. So this chart helps us to have a clearer understanding of it. So here we are. There's two ways to live. We are dead to sin, not dead to sin. If we are dead to sin, then we are crucified and we are buried with Christ. And we are buried to in, with Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin. And the end result is we are alive in God, in Christ. But we continue in sin. We are enslaved to sin. We always say yes to sin. And the end result is death. So in the word of John Stock, our old life has ended with the score settled. That paid the law satisfied. We shall want to have nothing more to do with sin any longer. So in, instead of indulging in sin and sin more, we must do the contrary. We must take sin very seriously and treat it like the powerful lion or the tiger. To stay away, to run away, to turn away. We do not want sin to reign, to lead, to, domi to, to dominate our day-to-day -day living because we are living under grace and therefore we need to actively delink ourselves from sin. In a more modern way, we can look at it, it's almost disconnecting yourself from the Wi-Fi, disconnecting yourself from the network so you have no access to the Wi-Fi or to the network. And Paul says in verse 12 to 14, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members as sin, to sin as instruments or tools for unrighteousness. Instead, Paul says, present yourselves, ourselves, to God as those who have been brought from the death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. One more illustration before I move to the next point. So imagine, you know, we are in a place where we are being conquered by a wicked military force. Sometime later, the good army invaded, took over the power, threw, threw off the wicked army, threw the wicked army out of the, of the country. But you see, the wicked force is still hiding around. They are still creating havoc. And we still feel the presence of it. But we know that the enemy has no power, has no bite in the context of us being, because there is a greater army, a more powerful army that is now in place. 
And therefore, we are able to call on this army to destroy the enemy. And that's what it is. We are able to call on to God to destroy sin. And so verse 12 and 14, Paul says, as a summary, you are dead to sin, so do not let sin reign in your body any longer. You are under grace and not law, so sin has no dominion over us. And Paul, because of verse 14, Paul then raised the next question in verse 15. Say, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Because that's what he says in, it, in verse 14. And so he anticipated the next question and say, so Paul, are you telling me that I no longer need to obey the Mosaic law? I'm now under grace. I can do anything I want. And Paul wants to correct their misunderstanding that first, grace frees us up to do God's will, not to do anything we want. Grace enables us to obey God, although we are not subject to the power, the dominion of the law. And so Paul used uh, imagery of slavery, slavery to explain what it means to live under the slavery of sin or slavery of God. And slave, at a point in time in the Romans' time, is a very common image. Every other household will have slaves. And slave, at a point in time, has no power. They have no rights. They, all they do is to do the beating and the command of their master. So verse 16 tells us, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? What is Paul saying here? We are all slaves of someone, or we are slaves of something. Nobody is free from that. And Paul points out the two masters, sin and God. And that holds true for the, the church in Rome during his time. It holds true for us today. That there's only two masters, God or sin, which is self. And then Paul says in verse 17, But thanks be to God that your one slave of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you are committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So Paul, once again, in answering his question, he reminds them, or he tells them of their status in Christ. Because that's important, isn't it? Who you are, who we are, our identity, will then determine how we behave. And so Paul started his answer to his question both in the earlier part and now to who they are. That they are slaves 
to righteousness. No longer slaves to sin. But then Paul interestingly move on to say in verse 19, I'm speaking in a human terms because of your natural limitation. For just as, just as um, you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you are free in regards of, the, of righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now they have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul begins with the identity. He moves on to their destination. And he says that the two masters lead us to two different destinations. So the old selves who live as slaves to sin, sin is their master, they actively present their body to impurity, to lawlessness, to sin. So it must be interesting, but I think you need to be mindful that this, that the word here is actively presenting their bodies. So it's not passively, I have no choice. I just sit there and then suddenly I sin. I just sit there, then someone poke me, then I get angry. I sin, not because of me, but because of this person, because of this gadget, because of this thing. By the first place, Paul is saying, no, we actively present ourselves in the position, a situation where we sin. So Paul Tree has an interesting example. I don't know if you all get caught in traffic jam. Actually, if you are going to Malaysia on Wednesday, don't do that because you may get stuck in six hours. And then when you're stuck there in six hours, everybody's on the same jam, right? And you get angry. You get more and more angry. And then somebody cut your leg. You get even more angry. What caused the anger? Not the traffic jam. The traffic jam just presents an opportunity for your heart to be angry. Because next to you, in the car, somebody could be putting on makeup. Oh, I better put on makeup now. So that when I arrive, I look pretty. Same traffic jam. Two different outcomes. The circumstances that we are in is not what causes us to sin. The circumstances that we are in put us in a position, in a crossroad and say, what do I do now? What do I do now? Do I sin? So that I can get my anger out? Or do I use that time to listen to the Gettys, to listen to City Alight, to listen to a sermon and be encouraged and edified? And that's what I do to help me not to be upset by the traffic jam. I listen to Gettys, I listen to City Alight. That's why we send out the Monday uh, song, isn't it? That's the song that we sing in the past month. So I encourage you to do that. Because what we want to do is to not let sin reign in our life. We want to actively present our body as slaves to righteousness. When we present our body as to sin, it leads to death. When we present our body to God, the Bible tells us it leads to sanctification. It leads to us being transformed more and more to be like Christ. When we, when we surrender, when we, when we enslave ourselves to sin, 
it leads to more lawlessness. And that's what Paul is saying here. So sin is not compatible with grace. And Paul says there's really two masters and you cannot serve both. You can only serve one. And that's what it is in this chart. Quite similar. Dead to sin, slave to righteousness, to God as our master, to present our body in righteousness. And that's what that leads to. It's a gift we lead to life. But when we are not dead to our sin, slave become, we are slaves to sin. We do the beating of sin. We are sin is our master. We present our body to sinful act, lawlessness, and it leads to death. And so Paul says, as he concludes in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So you work so hard in sin, your result is death. You believe in God, your result is, your end point is, gifts of righteousness from God. You choose. You choose. When one serves sin as master, the rightful deal is death, a permanent separation from God. When one serves God as our master, we receive a free gift. Sin, which manifests itself in us pursuing worldly passion, seems to satisfy us temporarily. But we know it will lead us to death. But God who freely gives us Jesus as an atoning sacrifice to break the power of sin so that we can live free from the dominion of sin to fully enjoy the freedom to obey God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Our Lord Jesus' death on the cross has broken the power of sin. Because it's broken the power of sin, we can say no to sin and yes to godliness. So help us, O oh Lord. We know each day as we, as we live our lives, we are constantly at a point where we need to decide. God, sin. And I pray that your Holy Spirit that is in us lead us and guide us and give us a power to say no to sin. But in the event when we do fall, we do sin. We are thankful that your grace abound more and more. That when, you, when your, the Holy Spirit in us exposes the sin that is in us, you do not expose that to condemn us, but you expose that so that we can come and acknowledge our sin, confess and repent. And we thank you. We thank you that you are so gracious, so merciful to forgive, to forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.